Welcome to Unconference, a design plus diversity podcast about diversity, design, and the marriage in between, where we will chat about design plus diversity and all the things related, whether you are a designer or a design hobbyist in many of its adjacent or subfields, we're here to break down all of the details and solve the hard problems with you. I'm Tim Hikes. Hi, Sadie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. I don't know if the listeners can hear it, but there's a huge smile on my face. Sadie and I go way back. We did a, a conference together a couple of years ago, and I was there and she was there, and we just completely hit it off. But I really enjoy her company, her energy. And her story is absolutely amazing. For those that's been to the Design Plus Diversity uh, Conference, you've met Sadie once before and you've interacted with her powerful presentation that she delivered on our stage. And so we're happy to have her here today. And we can't wait to learn more about you today. So tell us about you. I want to know how you got into design. And I also want to hit some of the major issues around the indigenous community. And I want to hear what those diversity issues are there, especially when it pertains to design. You hit some really good facts when you came to the conference. Uh, One thing that really sticks out to me is what you spoke when someone Googles a Native American. You said majority of the art that comes up isn't Native American art. And I believe that you quoted a statistic that was around like 0.3% of the art that comes up in a search result isn't Native American art. So I would really love to hear more about that. I know I said a lot, so let me shut up because I'm a talker and I'll let you have the floor. <laughs> oh, Tim, it's so good to to hear you, to see you. Wow, just just thank you. Thank you for you and the whole team for putting up a or just setting up a podcast. Yeah, Tim, we go back since the Seattle when I get a chance to really mm-hmm. hang out with um y'all at the Hive conference and mm-hmm. we all went to lunch, just hit it off and um definitely been great support, been um, you know, very, very, you know, just good friends, good inspiration, always inspired by the work going on and always always appreciate any invite or any chance that we get a chance to talk or um, just anything. So again, thank you. But for those who are listening in, hello, everyone. My name is Sadie Redwing. I am a citizen of the Spirit Lake Dakota Nation out of Fort Taunton, North Dakota. Um, but you might hear me more reference myself as Lakota. I w- was born and raised in sh- central South Dakota. Um, my family is from the Cheyenne River Reservation. So I'm a South Dakota girl at heart and um, definitely lived over all around. Currently, I am employed at the American Indian College Fund, so I'm living in Denver, Colorado, and I'm a student success coach. But kind of a little background of me, I graduated from the Institute of American Indian Arts in Santa Fe, New Mexico, so I was able to live in the New Mexico area for about five years. Following that, um, took an internship at NASA in Cape Canaveral, Florida, Really wasn't my thing. So following that internship, I knew that um, I wanted to go into graduate school. Got my master's in graphic design from North Carolina State University mm-hmm. in 2016, and then left North Carolina State to Standing Rock in 2016. The fight against the Dakota Access Pipeline was going on, and leaving uh, graduate school with a master's and going to um, going to protect the um, help protect some of the water issues that were going on in the Standing Rock Reservation really kind of set me on the map. Um, That was my first introduction of um, what it meant to be a designer during an activist movement specific to environmental issues and then had a chance to, wow, it it really opened a door for me. And so, wow, it really opened a door for me to be acknowledged as an activist and a designer. It's led me into meeting wonderful women like Dory, Elizabeth Dory Tunstall, who's introduced me to many public speaking platforms, um, specifically to the AIGA community, um, and has boosted my confidence in becoming an educator. I, I, I identify myself as a design educator, uh, which I landed, I identify myself as a design educator, which has landed me in positions to teach 
So um, following Sandy Rock, I went to teach at the University of Redlands in California. And I got to introduce some unique courses that haven't been taught in the United States. Really? Uh, some of those courses being um, specific at that uh, university intro to visual sovereignty, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, my first time really curating a curriculum of indigenous perspective um, in the art department. Uh, following inclusive art and design, and as well as indigenous perspective and visual communication, which I'll touch on this um, as we get more into our conversation. And uh, finished up a contract there, um, decided it was time to bring some of my expertise back home. Um, Went to teach computer science uh, with a huge focus in future trends specific to a Native American classroom, as well as speech. opening up, you know, sharing my experience as a public speaker and bringing that into um, the Indigenous youth. And then I finished that contract and soon led me into another open door of advocating in higher education. So currently right now, I'm a student advocate for Native American students, which I do bring design expertise in. A lot of people ask me, what am I doing with my graphic design degree at the American Indian College Fund? But in means, you need a designer anywhere. Uh, needing a designer to what's in means of sharing data visualization. Um, yeah. You're making presentations for workshops specific to a Native American demographic. You better know your audience. Flyers, publications, you name it. Um, it, it there needs to be a designer's expertise for, for that demographic. So um, I'll end that right there. And then I'll open it up to what questions you have, Tim. I'm excited. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I want to jump directly into issues that are currently within the indigenous community. You know, what are the what are the design issues that are currently on your radar? I notice issues within my community that I'm currently on top of, you know, being black and gay. And I'm always wondering what I can do to help this issue or if it's other issues that are arising that are affecting us in my community, I'm always on top of those and telling people and educating people about those issues so that they know, you know, how we fit into the spectrum. And design is so big and broad because it's it, you have design. I always call design the mother, and then it's children is like the different smaller areas like UX design or it's fashion design, industrial design. It's um, What's the architecture design? Those are its children. And so with that, it branches. Each one of those have their issues. Each one of those have diversity issues. And the first thing I say is we need to be aware of these things in order to help people as they move the charge forward. So make us aware. Yeah. Tim, addressing issues in the Native American community specific to design, I think I kind of have a unique perspective compared to other graphic designers in the Native American community, because I really have been carrying two focuses. One, what does indigenous perspective look like in design research, which as you mentioned, like design is the mother. Design will always come before anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, their design will always come before structure or design will always come you know, before the involvement in a community, it always come before education. It is the mother. And so to acknowledge that and who has a voice in that design community, specific to research, who has a voice in design research that are specific to indigenous community, it's very slim. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, outside of design is wanting to bring educated Native Americans into our tribal communities. As growing up in a Native American community, you always hear this word reciprocity. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of focus in us Native Americans wanting to either educate ourselves or find some type of contribution that's going to contribute, find some type of task or responsibility or duty that's going to contribute positive contribution to our communities mm-hmm. and any way that a community is going to function you're going to need a designer it means of structuring community involvement visually i visually showing expressing what that community is to outsiders 
And then also, too, just the means of having resources and tools. You need websites, you need uh, materials, you need commercials, you know, you name it. There has to be a designer there. What I found in my journey, so kind of going, so acknowledging that I went to a tribal college, Mm -hmm. which is really specific to, again, working within an indigenous community. So I came, I started my experience and expertise with the really specific indigenous lens. And I would say that the education I got at a tribal college as a designer was more of an art focus. Mm. It was more of this idea of you're an artist, you make art on Photoshop, Illustrator, you frame it, you sell it, and then you know how to participate in galleries, at events and festivals. So I really didn't know this concept of research in Mm. design. It wasn't until I went to the mainstream college at graduate school is where I got introduced to research for designing for future trends. And this really opened my eyes to things. So this idea of where is technology going in the future? And as we're seeing it now, there's a lot of augmented reality, a lot of virtual reality, a lot of future trend, smart objects, you name it. But all of that technology needs designers. Not only do they need designers, they need wealth. So I was put in a position where, okay, if I'm going to bring some of this knowledge I'm gaining in futuristic trends, how, I'm gonna, how am I going to bring that back home? Yeah. How am I going to bring back this idea of designing for augmented reality to very, a very small rural poor community? There is huge disconnect. Not only is how am I going to communicate it to an audience that doesn't have that wealth infrastructure and it doesn't have that trust. So that really opened my eyes to who is being forgotten in the design community and who is being forgotten when it comes to these inventions. So not only that, being exposed to future trends, I get to see how they benefit communities. I get to see how this how things like designing for mobile applications can introduce stuff like language learning apps preservation for, I guess, in ways of connecting community, community building. And those are things that we need. I'm coming from a demographic that is going extinct rapidly. And if they don't have the resources to sustain their culture, we're going to be gone and we're going to be gone quick. And we're kind of noticing it now when it's uh, as we're in this time at the moment, but I'm not going to go down that road. But this idea of, okay, Um, what is being lost faster, our verbal language, our body language, or our visual language? And this this idea of um, communicating visually before English was brought over to us, and uh, or just even things like the alphabet or the printing press, you know, how do we as uh, Native Americans communicate? And it's really hard for the average American to envision that because it's hard to envision living here and not knowing what this, what the United States looked like with larger Native American population. The best I could probably compare it to uh, that Mel Gibson movie, Apocalypto, or the, the stereotype of what, you know, ancient Mayan or Aztec civilizations look like. Well, we had those large populations up here too, but Mm-hmm. People don't know. So a lot of that history is being lost. It completely destroyed or lost. Uh, like in this area, there's the Cahokia Indians. And they were a very large civilization of Indians in this area that was lost or destroyed. And even when people tried to come in into these cultures and try to preserve things, they didn't know that they were t- uh, touching. I, I took a uh, Native American um, class, art class, art history class. And one thing that was drilled into us, like most things had multiple purposes, but there's a lot of things that was ritualistic and we weren't allowed to touch and really shouldn't even been on that land. You know, so it wasn't up to us to preserve it. We should allow the people who created it, who holds it sacred and dear to preserve those different things because they know how it should be preserved. They know the history with it. They know it's just more than something that's pretty to look at. Yeah, to your point too, the concept of 
what does it mean for something to be sacred? You know, what does uh, something like a ritual mean? I know that's not practiced in the household um, as often, but yeah, very good points. So this idea of, you know, what does a graphic Native American graphic designer do to, you know, contribute to our demographic? You know, if, if we, if a goal in the community is to preserve our language, who's going to make the dictionaries? Who's going to make the language apps? Who's going to make the DVDs of the learning lessons? You know, who's going to make the, the work, the workbooks? Um, and all of that comes from a designer. So in thinking about, okay, if we do, if we're lacking designers to do this, how are we going to get more Native American designers educated to make these dictionaries, language apps, workbooks, you name it? And they have to be educated. We encourage them to go to school, go to art school, go to design school. But when you're sitting in those classes, you're not learning how to target for an indigenous audience. Okay. So I do have this personal goal in life that I'm continuing to speak out loud because I want it to come true is that I want to help create or at least be part of constructing a curriculum that is specific to a tribal or a Native American dominant design institute that isn't so, so much art focused. It's so it's more design focused. Also, an issue of um, Native Americans in design is that because we lack the populations, mm -hmm. the communities in worlds that we're curating, it's not as math as other populations on the United States. Um, mm -hmm. I want to read this, this, uh, this thing I wrote. So this woman was interviewing me for communication arts and she asked me a question. She said, what do you, what do you envision or what do you hope to envision for the future? And this kind of goes a little bit to this answer. It's so lonely being a Native American in the United States. And then I kind of give her an answer of why. So, but I just I just wanted to get a chance to really uh, to share, you know, what I wrote on here. So I'm kind of like speaking specific to me talking about my about Native American students. So mm -hmm. this is what I want to see in the future. I want my students to read a Native American comic book in between the Native American graphic design history book with their feet propped up on their desk and wearing tennis shoes branded or created by an indigenous designer. I want my students to leave class and go to the cafeteria and grab a snack, you know, something like corn nuts. And then while they're enjoying that snack, you know, I want my students to be able to read the calorie label on the map. I want my students to leave class and go to the cafeteria and grab a snack like corn nuts while enjoying the snack or while eating their corn nuts. You know, I want them to read the label for, for either the calorie amount, but as a label designer, you know, those are opportunities to share like the history of where New Mexican Pueblo corn comes from. Mm. And if the snack doesn't satisfy my student, they might still be hungry. You know, I want them to be able to go to a food court and grab a meal. You go into a mall, they don't have a Native American restaurant in the food court. I want my student to be able to go into their college campus and they can go to a Native American fast food chain included into the dining room option. You know, after they have their lunch, I want my student to go to the bookstore and I want them to buy a shirt with a scarf that promotes Native American sports team. And I'm thinking like, you know, like on Harry Potter, when they're going to watch Quidditch and each of the like Gryffindor or whatever, they each have their colors. You know, I wish, you know, my students can go, you know, watch something like lacrosse and get, you know, flair to go cheer on their team. So after they purchase their scarf, they can go to the stadium and watch a, a Southeastern traditional a game of stickball that's being played. And I want them to have pride in their college team. I want them to feel safe and not be offended or not be scared of their life or, you know, have to acknowledge themselves with a stereotypical mascot. Mm -hmm. After after they leave the game, you know, I want my students to get in their car and I want them to hear Native American musicians on the radio as they drive to the grocery store. I want them to go into the grocery store and be able to go to the produce aisle and see vegetables, but vegetables that are labeled with where those vegetables come from. You know, are they, if, especially if they're seasonal crops, and those, are those crops harvested traditionally here in the United States by Native American tribes? You know, being able to kind of see where your food comes from, that's an opportunity for a graphic designer to show trade routes. 
you know, why, why can't we go into the produce section and see a map of where all these foods come from when a lot of them are indigenous here to the Native American tribe? Mm-hmm. So then after they're done grocery shopping, I want my students to go home and I want them to have furniture in their homes that are created by Native American companies. And I want them to turn on the television and, and binge watch more selections of Native American shows on Netflix or at least catch an evening news of a Native American news anchor on something like CNN. We don't even have that representation in the media. You know, then at the end of the day, I want my students to shower and shower with shampoos that were created from, you know, a Native American beauty outlet. I want them to be able to ask Alexa in their own, you know, traditional language to set an alarm for class the next morning. I want them to have a cell phone that has a keyboard that has their tribal alphabets on it. And I want them to be able to have their own tribal traditional calendars so they can write down their school schedule in their own language. You know, why is it 2020 and my students have none of that? And a lot of it is because we don't have Native American graphic designers to be creating those things. So this this issue, honestly, is just the lack of population in the practice, but then also opening opportunity for having more uniqueness and in, in more attention and alertness of saving a culture instead of only the strong survive. So I have a question for you. So how can people help you in this fight? Uh, a lot of what you said, I identify with in my culture. We've had conversations about being able to go to the doctor's office and getting a provider that's black or even sitting down and having a counseling session with a counselor who is black. Um, and just those things within our community, like we, we just don't have, you know, we, we, we want the same, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting the same or wanting to see yourself, you know, in something else. Uh, I always get asked what, what is that one thing that I want for the next black designer to come behind me. And I always say, I wanna be the image that they can say that I can do it and I wanna be better than him because we, have, we don't have, in my opinion, a black designer to beat or to meet or exceed, especially within UX. When it comes to big name designers, that's, I also feel that's the same thing with um, your community too. You know, the biggest name industrious and the biggest name Native American designer that I know of is you. I don't know any others, you know, and I think it's very important that we help with this mission and empower those who are working towards that to do that thing. I don't think we should ever come into a community and just start throwing up basketball hoops and they never ask for basketball hoops. Yeah, that's such a, I, I think that's just always a hard question to answer. I mean, because I, I feel like is it asking a lot to have somebody acknowledge that our current culture that we live in was brought over? I always wonder if people even question, you know, what what did this land look like before Christopher Columbus came over? You know, we're stuck in this narrative of the caveman and it's really belittling us as a as a whole race in general but what i also question too is that you know what 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 do people think do and i'm i'm kind of going off topic here and just think and talking about culture in general which i don't want to get too much into but Mm -hmm. this idea of you know are people curious where their food comes from i mean it means that they are when it comes to organic but do they believe that everything that we have here has always been here. And if they're not questioning the origins of things, then that means they're not interested in how things were designed before. So that's always a struggle. That's always a struggle when it comes to not seeing Indigenous design as important and seeing it as something as more ancient and as something as more that's in the past and it can't fit into future trends. So me being present in spaces, I'm the reminder. Like I'm, I'm reminding everybody that this language of English is brought over and it's not personal here. 
Mm-hmm. And some people don't like it when I say that, but I tell them it's different. It's different when you are German and you're living in Germany and you're speaking German. It's personal when you're standing in Germany. But when you're standing here in, uh, let's say that you may be Korean, you speak English and you're living in Manhattan, it's, it's not the same personal feeling as to me, you know, being Lakota, if I was fluent in Lakota and I'm in Lakota territory, that's personal to me. So there's, again, going back to this idea of respect and sacred and, and ritualness that the disconnect, people don't, people don't understand that feeling of what something means as means being personal. So I always hope that people are asking these questions or sorry, I would hope that if I can't be present in a space that other people can ask these questions for me. For example, now I really, I really didn't want to be negative and talk about this pandemic, but it's a really good example of um, for those who are struggling, you know, for example, this, the, this tool of Wi-Fi, you know, people forget sometimes of what it's like to live in South Dakota. If I come from a poor reservation and I may be living in a household with 12 people and we're supposed to remain inside and rely on things like Zoom and I only have barely 10 megabytes of Wi-Fi, how the hell am I going to, you know, be in school, participate in work? So if if I'm a designer and I'm thinking of those things, I have to think about how I can create something that's going to keep them involved. The second thing is now we're having greater appreciation for our earth, mm-hmm. for our land. We see it now. There's a lot more things. There's a lot more people wanting to garden. There's a lot um, more technology specific to like farming and agriculture. And and I always hope that somebody is saying or I hope that somebody is thinking about how do I want to say this? So. In my computer science class, and if we're talking about something like artificial intelligence taking care of the agricultural land in South Dakota, is there a Native American present who knows thousands of years of how to take care of this or who is programming or who is putting knowledge into the artificial intelligence in, in, in that who is putting who, who is the one putting knowledge in the in his programming, the artificial intelligence when it comes to preserving the land? Mm-hmm. If they're unfamiliar of our animal, of our seasons, of the waterways, of all these other things that have been ingrained into our traditional ecological knowledge, that robot who's taking care of somebody's farm isn't really going to do much. So just a means of, you know, thinking about how history plays into future technology and how this term traditional ecological knowledge, TEK, or uh, a way. So TEK um, kind of sums up this idea of these tribes are placed in different regions. So being in the Great Plains, the, the way you take care of the prairie is going to be a lot different than the Southwest tribes taking care of the desert. They're going to have two different ways of preserving that land. So their traditional ecological knowledge is going to be different. So, I mean, I would have no business being thrown on a design project for the Grand Canyon when I'm not from, you know, Southwest. Mm-hmm. I know the prairie. I would suggest somebody to ask the Navajo or a Pueblo or a Hopi to be present in those conversations. But even to this idea of grouping, Mm -hmm. this idea of pan-Indianism or grouping all of the Native Americans into one big group instead of acknowledging us as different countries or different nations, that also does not help or it's an issue or it's a challenge when being thrown on a design team when they're wanting more diversity, like, oh, you know, we just need a native. And I always, I always answer, and this is what ticks me off, but <laughs> and, um, this idea of people putting more on my plate than I asked for and that I'm supposed to be the savior to all their, their issues of, of Native American culture. And that's that tokenism aspect. It's that exhausting aspect. But I always get 
Let me give an example. I participated in the Thrive 2020 conference that was held this past February in Durham, North Carolina. Got a lot of wonderful feedback, but also my inbox got flooded. And a lot of those emails were from participants and they would say comments like, oh, you should you should write a write a book. I got to work with, you know, Lumbee tribes, which Lumbees are um, from the Carolina territories. Mm -hmm. And it would be really nice to have some of your input. But that doesn't make sense to me. It's like, why am I mean, I'm from South Dakota. I'm not I'm not Lumbee. So that's not my responsibility. And it's not my responsibility to look for a Lumbee individual Mm -hmm. to help you. So this idea of pushing other people's work onto mine just because it has the this this word Native American into it. It's it's a little bit challenging. So what I hope that people would do to help out is to ask the questions of specific things of origin and history and also to do their research. If I'm going to Asia, I gotta do my research in in um, differentiating or I have to do my research in defining how Japanese are different than Koreans or Chinese, just as other people should be doing their research here in in knowing the difference between our tribes based on, you know, our sovereign nation. And to me, when people don't do that, it's just kind of laziness. So one thing that, you know, you might see notice at a lot of conferences now is this land acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. We're doing land acknowledgements so you get an idea that we're not just one race. You know, we're 573 different sovereign nations here. It's exhausting to remember 573, but I have to. And if I don't, I got to do my research to, to find it out just the same as everyone else. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote that you said. I think it was in the communication arts article. Um, you said that you, if someone came to you and wanted you to design a logo for a fast food restaurant, maybe like a Korean restaurant or a Chinese restaurant, you would turn them down because that's not what you are, you know. So doing your research and just having a, a little bit of basic information goes a long way. I always t- I've been telling people a lot lately that I need to know enough to know that I'm wrong. You know, and that phrase really sets in perspective how much information that you need to know, because it's easy for you to take a little information and say I'm the expert. But it takes a lot of information for you to say that I'm wrong and, you know, humble yourself to the foundation of being able to really understand uh, the information that's necessary to help people in their endeavors and make these changes. Uh, I'm really big on research, especially coming from a UX background. Uh, that's something that I do like all the time with design. I'm always doing the research on why the thing works and why the thing doesn't work. And a lot of stuff that you said today really hits that research area, you know, about how usability things are, the frictionless, and people just being aware. So I'm really happy that you are here expressing the issues. And I'm happy that you're able to lay again that framework that I think needs to be heard. You know, there are still issues with um, the way that our country interacts with these sovereign nations. And I don't want anybody that listens to this podcast to be one of the problems with that, you know. Yeah, one thing I want to point out, too, as we're kind of on the subject is um, another thing that I hope people do is that they're understanding this term decolonization Mm -hmm. and how it differs from decolonialism. And I would say that ever since Danny Rock was popping off this idea of what decolonization is. And yeah, I just another another thing that gets on my nerves is um, when people are talking about this concept and they're not defining it correctly. So for example, this is kind of what I talk about, or this is kind of, you know, what I teach in my classrooms is defining how decolonization is different than dec- decolonialism. We look at this definition of decolonize and in that definition is land or space or territory. And I think sometimes when Using that term, people mistake it for decolonialism. Decolonialism really focuses on structure. Mm-hmm. So how something is, so how something is structure, which would be, you know, how the Bible or Christianity really influences daily culture. How designing for a female is different than a male. Those 
things are more structure-based and, and policy-based instead of land-based. So the one of the reasons why I hope there's greater space in this conversation of decolonization for the Indigenous voice is because we're talking about design specific to the actual land, specific to the actual territory, and kind of going to what I mentioned earlier is that a Lakota graph designer is bringing in traditional knowledge based on how to preserve the prairie. Mm-hmm. We utilize land resources that influenced our visual communication, animal resources that influenced our tools and inventions, you know, even language, you know, coming from lands as colonial um, settlement came over, it really disrupted a lot of that. A lot of our, um, our, our animals, our plants, like they're gone and we need that to preserve a lot of our old design methods. And so I think people really take this term decolonization out of proportion, but really we should be focusing the definition on how we can utilize traditional land knowledge and methods into our current design practices. And that's going to go on specific conventions of a visual language. Hence, in a lot of my presentations, I kind of show some of our quote unquote ancient artifacts made from porcupine quill work and how that has a huge influence. The practice of working with the porcupine quill has a huge influence on some of our visual conventions now that we're seeing in more contemporary graphic design styles or this idea of um, symmetry, geometric shape, pattern, and how that was really influential in our recording devices and note-taking and visual identity, uh, especially if we didn't speak a lot of each other's languages, but other people don't see it in that personal concept because they see it more like they like, they like the pattern for decoration. Yeah. A a perfect example would be if you head over to Sadie's website, um, you did the, I want to say it was a visual journal, um, a visual narrative, you know, uh, and explained basically from the time I want to say it was from the time you went to school. I haven't looked at it in years, so I'm trying to summarize what it was. The time that you got up, started in college, up until most recently, like past couple of years back. And it's a visual narrative. And, you know, we first look at it, it looked like it's patterns, but actually it is a visual language, you know, that um, these indigenous people used to speak of. I learned so much of it in school uh, from a teacher who was from the area. Uh, she said she was, um, part of the Cahokia tribes here in this area. And so she goes around and actually visit these different tribal areas to learn more about their cultures and learn, you know, about, you know, things that were artifacts, things that were sacred and, you know, more about the land and what they did. And she comes back and she was showing the imagery and she was really going through to tell us a story, you know, and something she was just saying, like, wanted to show you this as visual interest, but what this represents is something ritual that you would never be told the story of. So yeah, I really like that idea about that. I don't know. Let me give you some space and opportunity to talk more about that visual journey. And then also tell them about your website. Cause I really want people to, you know, support you and your endeavors. <laughs> they don't need to hear it from me, but that just made me think about that visual journey there on your website. Yeah. I mean, that's beautiful. I'm, I'm so happy that you had that class to reference, um, especially, you know, just being able to kind of translate some of my concepts that I'm talking about here. But yeah, the, the visual essay, um, I had an assignment in graduate school on how to create a visual essay. And <clears throat> I had an assignment in um, graduate school about creating a visual essay and what does that mean? And I thought that was the perfect opportunity to show how a race speaks, visually speaks, I should say, writes without um, the alphabet. Um, A lot of, because we didn't have that form of communication, we really relied on uh, symbolism in in documenting things and writing things, tracking things specific to, uh, let's say, you may use more symbols for to remember specific prayers. Um, if you come from a culture that has a strong dream belief, if you want to remember dreams, you know how can how can you record that? And 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 you see a lot of it in the invention of the dream catcher with 
people just, you know, put in their car nowadays or get a tattoo on their arm when actually those are recording devices. But on my website, I, I keep it basic and I keep it simple. Once one, one of these days, I'm going to afford somebody to, to do it for me. But there are a few things on there that I'd be sure to show. One, I acknowledge that I don't, I prefer not to take, you know, logo designs, t-shirts designs, because there's so much, there's so many other, um, there's so many other designers out there that are looking for that work. Not saying that, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do it. It's just that I really want to focus my attention and my effort on time on the design research aspect of it and specific to creating more resources and voice in academia. Um, so what I show on my website is really selective. Um, I give examples of some projects I've done in the past, but I really try to show, you know, what are examples of using um, animal-based or land-based. And when I say animal-based, I mentioned, um, you know, this idea of using the porcupine quill. Um, when I say land-based, this idea of, of grass or paints or a color palette that's going to be more a color palette that's going to be inspired by our prairie flowers, by the color of our grass, by the color of our dirt, by, you know, the the animal hide colors for some of our letter, leathers. Um, so I really, uh, and I try to juxtapose a lot of those natural resources with more contemporary things like social media posts. I You'll see uh, my Indigenous Peoples Day graphics, which have great influence from some of those traditional natural resources. You'll see um, some stuff that I've done for, you know, you'll see an example of uh, the World Policy Journal and having the opportunity to design a cover for them. I, be sh I, I like to post, I share what I bring into my classrooms and some workshop ideas, especially when you want to have hard conversations like cultural appropriation, which is a conversation designers are having this idea of targeting an audience, targeting an audience who has trauma from being oppressed as a designer and in the way that you're communicating or targeting them. You know, there's not necessarily so much protocol, but there should be some, so at least some examples that could be helpful in, in taking, you know, some of that audience's sensitivities into consideration. I also show a lot of the research I did at North Carolina State. At North Carolina State, I had the opportunity to prototype, you know, at North Carolina State, I had the opportunity to prototype a mobile application that shares how an iPad can work as a digital tool when wanting to bring some of those old symbols and use them for a contemporary purpose. So, for example, let's say that I wanted more of, let's say I wanted our youth to design more greeting cards for the holidays. And instead of just putting a teepee on there or a feather on there, I want to give them a space to actually practice using some of our visual language. And I really try to have my sensitive audience, you know, utilizing these tools without fear, mm -hmm. because I know there is this idea of, um, or there's this huge dark cloud of our native youth scared to use some of our traditional visual languages because they don't want to be offensive. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to use it inappropriately. They want to be respectful when it comes to working with our patterns and symbols. But knowing that that visual language is going extinct fast, I just need to make sure that my students know that we have these visual languages to use without using stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And try, and I know there's so many creative and beautiful young minds out there that are gonna utilize those visual languages in more contemporary ways than I could think of. But it's just a matter of preserving this idea of using it now and preserving it in technology now, so that in the next ten years, when the new t tablet comes out with you know new features, that mm -hmm. we have the opportunity to showcase ourselves non-stereotypically. Right. I even, I even think the opportunity to produce these ideas now with the visual language, while you still have people around that can correct you and say, you know, this is not right. I always tell people, just do it, you know, get it out there. And if it's incorrect, 
someone will come and tell you that this is not right, you know, or you seek out the source for that information and go to that individual to ask, this is what I created. How can I make it better? How can I make this correct? Am I on the right path? Yeah. And I think us who they're looking to go to, we got to remember, like, we're not slapping them on the wrist. We got to really be more encouraging with them and be more uplifting, especially if, um, and you can probably speak to this too, Tim, and, you know, some of our youth want something of their own. Mm -hmm. They just, they just want, you know, I know there's a lot of native youth out there that are just dying to have, you know, their own style and things, whether it be how they dress, what stickers they put on their skateboard you know, what TV shows they're watching. They just want something that's their own and it's going to be us designers that are going to give it to them. So it's just this idea, which is a, it's a beautiful time now to do it. Mm-hmm. It's just the motivation aspect. But, um, and I want to give you a chance to kind of speak on this ownership too, but for us, you know, acknowledging what is ours and identifying what resources we need to make it ours. And a lot of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mostly in our, community is just more positive influences and images. We do have lots from history that we were lucky, you know, but out of that history with that struggle that we went through, the fight to be noticed to have that same, you know, so a lot of them have the history, but then we need more recent, more positive people that can also show them that this is a continuous fight. You know, there's somebody else that you can look up to. Yeah, MLK was, you know, a great resource, a great individual to look up to, but we have people now who are in the present, really good people look up to. I think about Barack Obama, you know, and I'm just fortunate in my community that we can have, we do have names that are known across the country that we can, you know, look at, point to, and talk about. You know, that's just so fortunate. Sadie, this has been really good. I want you to tell people how they can reach you. Like, where can they follow you at? You know, if they do want to reach out, what's the best way? Is it Twitter or Facebook or what's the best way? Yeah. So the best way to reach out to me, I would say right now would probably be my Instagram at, at Sadie Redwing, at S-A-D-I-E-R-E-D-W-I-N-G. I'll also too, I would say reach me at my email, uh, Sadie Redwing at Gmail. Um, and please be patient with my response. Um, I do get, as one of the few Native American graphic designers, I, I do get um, flooded with emails, but I I do read them and I get back to them. It's just a little bit time consuming, especially when working a full-time job. But I would say email me at sadieredwing.com. You can follow me on Instagram at sadieredwing. I am on Facebook. A lot of what I post on social media is more work-related. So you might see a little bit more of a higher education activism, Um, but I am, I will be pushing out some I will be pushing out a few design projects that I have lined up for 2020. So be on a lookout for that. Well, that was great. Uh, and for anybody else that's looking for more information on the work that Sadie has done, you can always do a simple Google search. And for all those people out there who are part of the Wikipedia community, please create a Wikipedia page for my girl. <laughs> Get that information on there so we can start to really capture the endeavors that she's been a part of and really start to put more focus on the issues within her community. I think these are very special issues that each one of us can help support in many different ways. And we can also help, you know, just unite and, ex- and what's the word I want to use? Ignite, you know, that flame within the youth of their community and support them and help give them a visual voice. It's you know, never, it's, it's always who you know that's going to open up that door for you. It was someone that I know that opened up that door for me and as you stated earlier, Sadie, it was someone that you knew that saw you that opened up that door for you. And let's get out there and open up the door for so many other these youths out there that would need our help. That's going to need the community as a whole. And let's get this story out there. So I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Are there any final words that you want to leave us with today? Wow. No, Tim, I appreciate that. Holding back a tear. Um, but I, wa- I just want to say thank you um, for you, everybody, everybody in anybody tied to um, diversity design, design diversity, which is it? Is it diversity design? (laughs) (laughs) No, um, but no, Tim, I I really want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to your team. I want to say thank you to the whole St. Louis community. Like seriously, um, I have a cousin who lives in St. Louis, Cherokee Street, been down there multiple times. Um, It's always been wonderful 
wonderful, beautiful, just to, to, to be a part of and to see all the movements coming out, um, just huge inspiration. Um, also, too, just even something as just being a wonderful friend has has been really, really beneficial, influential in my journey. And I, I cannot thank you enough for even for you to to allow me to speak on specific things, to open doors, to introduce me to people. Um, so, again, just giving the thanks back to you. If I can say anything. If I can leave here with some last words, I would just say that as a Native American, we're still here, we're still existent, we're still fighting for our rights, especially during this pandemic time. Um, continue to think about us. I know we're here to be supportive, to be positive. We want to keep this Mother Earth sustainable so we all can have a living. So I don't understand why we get backlash for having those positive thoughts, but just to know that we're sending out positivity, we're sending out prayers. And um, we're still here and we will remain. Awesome. Thank you very much. If you want to hear more of Sadie, you can also go to YouTube, uh, look up Design Plus Diversity. That's the plus sign not spelled out that time. And you can watch her video from when she was on stage. It's a very powerful presentation. I enjoy it. I use it all the time when I'm giving sponsorship presentations for people to you know, sponsor the conference. Like This is the type of talent that we have coming to the conference. And I'm pretty sure you will enjoy it too. Thank you so much, Sadie. And I really look forward to supporting you in your de- endeavors. And I really hope we all can come you know, and just lift you up in the things that you do and make the world see you know, that you're still here and you're firm in what you do. Thank you so much. Yep, thank you. I hope you and your family are taking care and staying safe and healthy during this time. Yes, thanks. (laughs) And that is it for Unconference. Please subscribe to Unconference wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss a single moment. And give us a five-star rating and review. You can also give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Unconference Podcast. You can also follow me individually on Instagram and Twitter at Timothy Hikes. And then you can follow the conference at designplusdiversity.com. That's designplusplusdiversity.com.